Hello, my beautiful people. You are tuning in to another episode of the Shed Some Light podcast, a podcast where people of color can share their stories about their experiences with police brutality, profiling, targeting, and more to shed some light on what people of color go through with their interaction with police officers. My name is Tim Ogundapay, and I am the founder of Safe Resell, a safer prepaid cashless online marketplace where you can buy and sell locally. I am also your host with you today on this episode. Hello, my beautiful people, and thank you for tuning in to episode eight of the Shed Some Light podcast. I'm your host, Timio Gundapay. Tonight, this evening, we have our my friend from all the way from California, my man George, what's going on, bro? Thank you for joining me this evening. How's it going? It's going good. Thank you for inviting me to speak. It is an honor to be on your podcast this evening. Man, thank you. I really appreciate you coming, calling in from California. How's the weather? I mean, I know you probably get this all the time, but how's the weather out in Cali, man? It is beautiful and hot. Um, we're pushing 80s degrees out here, maybe 90. Only thing that cools us off, we get the little sea breeze that mm-hmm. kind of comes in and like cools things down. But June, ironically, people for, don't think this, but in June, it's very gloomy. We have like an overcast like for the whole month of June. Really? And then July, we get the sunshine. So, so a what's, lot of people want to- what's the best month to live out there to come visit? Uh, July, August, September. It ain't too hot? Uh, not, <laughs> not oh, that's a good question. Maybe August, September, when things start cooling down, like July, things pick up. August, September, that's probably a good time to come. Man, I miss living in Cali. My listeners don't know, I used to live in California for about what two years or so, Southern California over in Orange County. I absolutely loved it. What I didn't love is how much money I spent just to live. So, <laughs> I don't know how y'all do it, man, but shit, I was struggling, I was paying. Like thirteen hundred dollars for my half of an eight hundred square foot apartment. I can't do that shit no more. Yeah, yeah, we kind of sacrifice our living space for weather. So, Man. if you want to do it, don't expect to have one of those big old Midwestern homes. You're mm-hmm. gonna expect to have one of New York shack apartments. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do get sunny weather six months out the year. Ooh, man, that's nice. That's nice. Well, <laughs> well, George, man, again, thank you so much. Let's start off by just telling telling um, the listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are. Of course, we know where you're from, but what other, what other information you like to let them know? Okay, so my name is George. I stated earlier, I am a um, clinical marriage and family therapist. So I currently work with the homeless population doing uh, therapy and trauma-informed care in Skid Row, which is like this giant area in downtown. People who are from California or Los Angeles know where Skid Row is. It's about maybe a 15-block area radius of just homelessness all right there. Um, and I work with severely mentally ill, and that's typically like kind of my passion to work to get back to our community. Well, to the Black and the black community, I like to work and get back to them and bring them a therapist that looks like them and can relate to them. So that is what I, uh, that is what I do on a daily basis. And then I have... Sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead, bro. I also have like a private, I also work on private practicing where I work with clients who are not in skid row, more so like everyday folk that may be going through different things as it pertains to like intergenerational or transgenerational trauma or things that are, that are in the 
in their family's history that is causing them disruption as pertains to sex and relationships. So those are the things that I am involved in uh, work-wise. And how long you be doing that for? Um, this will be... I gra- Okay, so I, I, I've been working in mental health for about three years. I officially got my um, license, my associate's number in February of this year. Oh, nice. Congrats. Congrats. So you, so you could have been working without getting the associate number? Yeah, yeah, you can, but you can't get your hours to get licensed. Okay. So you have to go and get your master's degree in clinical psychology so you get licensed. Because my end goal is uh, me and my wife wanted to set up a uh, a wellness center where people from the city communities, from the neighbors that we live in can come in and receive the help they need from people that can relate and look like them. Okay. Do you think that's going to be a nonprofit? Um, haven't really fig- figured that out yet. Okay. I'm a, I was, it might be a little bit, it may, it, we're leaning towards making it a nonprofit. I just got to figure out how to do all that nonprofit legal work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, to figure that out. But yeah, so that is, that is the long term goal for us. Okay. Well, again, George, man, thank you for coming on board. Um, let's start off. Well, let's continue on by just telling the listeners uh, what stories you have to tell, what story you have to share regarding police brutality, profiling, whatever the case may be. The floor is yours. All right. So uh, let's see here. Um, I had so many of them. One of the ones that really agitated me the most was the fact that I, I used to live in, in Watts. I'm sure we've seen it on movies. It's very known area in Los Angeles. That is, you know, all the projects there. A lot of rappers come from out there. And I, my parents own a house, maybe a, in, a, a house in that area. And I was in college. So there's a, there was a really good soul food place literally two blocks down from my house. And I was like, me and my, me and my brother and a friend of mine were like, hey, let's go get some of this food real quick. So we get in the car and we start driving. As soon as we turn down Stanford, which is the street that the food place was on, which is like literally the very next street over, a cop pulls behind me. So we're driving and driving and driving. So I pull into the food restaurant and I see that it's packed there because it was really popular. A lot of people was going there and it was all packed inside the parking lot. So I'm like, all right, there's nowhere to park. So when I turn around to try to reverse out, the, the cop comes in and blocks behind me. And so I'm sitting there, like, trying to wave the cop. Hey, can you back up? I'm trying to get out. And they kind of laugh and shake their head no at me. So I'm looking like, what's going on? So one, the, 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 the officer gets out the car, asks me to roll down the window and see license and registration. I ask him, why, why is he blocking me in? Why can't I go? What's the reason that you're stopping me from going to park my car to get something to eat? And so he told me that... Um, he ran my plates, and my plates, my car was registered for Northern California. Now, just to give you some back history, I'm not originally from Los Angeles. I'm from, like, Central California, which is, like, three hours away from Los Angeles. So, And that's where I got my car from. So he was referring to my car as being from up there that he was assuming that I stole my car. And so I told him, so I said, well, he's my, so he told me my, he ran my plates from Northern California. I said, so what does that anything to do with you stopping me? The car wasn't reported stolen. There was nothing wrong. I don't see why you decided to pull me over. So he, he ends up um, 
he said he was he asked he, he disregarded my quick questions, asked for a license registration, took them, went back. So now I'm already ir- I'm irritated and I feel my silent rage boiling because honestly I was still hungry and I feel like he's stopping me from getting my food. <laughs> so now I'm more agitated, like yo, I'm hungry. He's blocking me in. He's asking to get my food. So now I, get, now I have a and when I get hungry, people who know me know I have a serious attitude problem when I get hungry. So he walks back up to me. And he was like. Um, all right, your car checks takes uh your car checks out okay, your ID and all that's fine. Um, you know, since you're pushing Northern California, we figure that you're lost. Do you need any directions? And so I looked at him, I was like, if I was lost, I would Google the directions. We have smartphones now. I don't need you to tell me anything. What I need you to do is get away, get get from behind me because you're blocking me in. I live around the corner, I'm not lost. And the cop was start. He started laughing again. It was like, okay, all right, we'll leave. You guys have a great day. And he got back in his car and he sat there for like another five, ten minutes while him and his partner was laughing the whole time. And so, I uh, this is where I had to really check myself because I knew I could have it could have gone real bad if I already got out the car and addressed the police officer um, because I felt like down they were just messing with me because they knew that. I was already agitated, which is why I always tell my clients in the therapeutic world, when people could tell that they're, you're upset or mad, they're going to start to use that against you just to fuel your anger, especially when you feel, when you, they know that you can't do anything to affect them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my first main incident. Same incident in the same neighborhood. It was me, my brother, and a couple of friends sitting outside of the house. Just my on our porch, sitting outside, mind our business um some cops pull up get out the car and tell everyone to get up against the house and take their shirts off to see if we have any tattoos and granted i understand i'm in a gang neighborhood however i don't see the purpose of them coming to our house because of a group of people sitting outside and telling us to take our shirts off so they can see our tattoos um so i respond to them that i'm not taking my shirt off yeah, you, you. I don't know. I don't see no reason why you got to pull up to our house and telling us that we had to take our take our shirts off. And it's it, the and so me and the officer was going back and forth, back and forth, and he was getting agitated because some of the people who are at the house they were registered as gang members, uh, so they just complied naturally. I wasn't about to do that because I felt like it was a violation of my rights for you just single out my house when, and just cop out and tell everybody to take their shirts off and send them against the wall. So essentially, I got up and walked inside the house. When I walked inside the house, the cops got upset and got escalated and put handcuffs on everybody outside and made this whole scene because they didn't know what I went inside the house for. So in the meantime, while I was inside the house, it was a gated, we have a, a front gate and this wooden door. Outside the front gate, I was still talking to the police officer. The police officer was still harassing and running everybody's name and dying, taking pictures of everybody who sat on my who was on my front porch, whether or not they're in a gang or not, and would not tell us why that they stopped by the house just to do this. So I just felt once again, I felt like I was being profiled again. Um, lastly, the last story I have was now I moved out that neighborhood and I live in a different neighborhood and I go shopping in a more, I would say, white neighborhood, so to speak, closer to the beach. Because they have the Trader Joe's and the Sprouts over there. Uh, Eight o'clock in the morning, I go to my bank, which is across the street from the shopping store. I go to the bank. I put my money out and I start driving to Trader Joe's, which is like in the same same shopping center. 
Um, granted, at the time that I was driving, I literally I left the gym before I went to the bank. So I got sweatpants on and a sweatshirt on. I pull into the parking lot and the cop pulls in behind me. So I'm on the phone with my mom, my head's down. I parked the car. I'm talking to her to wrap up our conversation. I hear a knock on my window glass. I look over, there's the cop there. And he asked me to roll my window down. I said, okay, I roll my window down. He said, can you, t- can you take the phone out your lap and put it in the next seat? I comply as well. Then he said, can you step out the car? I was like, why am I stepping out the car? He was like, just step out the car. So I get out the car. He tells me to turn around, put my hands behind my back, and put handcuffs on me. So now I'm asking him again. I said, why are you putting handcuffs on me? And he was like, um, no, no, he didn't even answer that question. I tell you, he answered that question. So he walked me over to his car to pat me down. And I said, what are you, I said, why are you patting me down? He, and his response was, you didn't make a complete stop at the stop sign that's inside the shopping center. <laughs> and so, I, so I, I responded to him. I was like, so you put handcuffs on me? To, give me out the car, put handcuffs on me for a traffic violation? I was like, they don't even do that. I was like, so why are you put handcuffs on me? He told me uh, that I appeared to be a threat. I asked him, what about me made me made you feel threatened? He said, my baggy clothes. I responded to him. I said, if a black man in baggy clothes make you, makes you feel threatened, you may need to be in a different profession because the one that you're in is not going to suit you well if that's your fear. So after that, he, was, he ignored that response and told his partner who appeared, who kind of looked kind of like he didn't know what to do, kind of like a rookie. He asked him to uh, go search the car because he asked for my license and registration. I said, my license and registration is in the car. I could have gave that to you if you would have performed a routine traffic stop like normal police officers do. So the rookie goes, looks into the car, and he comes back with my wallet. So I was still upset saying, this doesn't make any sense. You're violating my rights of pulling me out the car and doing this and for a routine traffic stop. He told me to be quiet and let him do his job. I responded, I said, okay, I'll be quiet and let you do your job. So he comes back, he gets my license and everything. He looks at my license and asks me, where's Hanford at, the city that I'm from? I respond, in California. And he said, I could see that. He says, but where is it at in California? I said, look, you told me to be quiet and do, do your job, so just do your job so I can go ahead and go about doing what I need to do. His response, oh, so you want to be a smart ass. All right, then I'm going to do my job. So he ran, ran my information again, came back clean, came back and took the handcuffs off me, and then said, is there anything else you want to say? I said, no, I'll be talking to your captain or lieutenant because I'm going to go report you because what you did was, was completely uncalled for, especially for a routine traffic stop. So after that, the, the silver line of the thing was there was a black woman who witnessed the whole thing. And she came in and asked, hey, you know what, what happened? I explained to her. And she ended up feeling sorry and said, I want, I want to pay for your groceries. So it did work out for me <laughs> at the end. However, however, and I still, at the end of the day, I still went and reported the officer. I got, you know, I reported the officer and his partner to the Culver City Police Department because I, I feel that if they don't have these reports on them, which even though they get on, I don't know how much work they actually do, I feel that they still need the reports on them in general. Because even meeting with this lieutenant, he said it's not much that can be done, but go back to a, a bias something type of training, which obviously is probably means nothing, uh, honestly. But I felt that 
when it does, when these things do happen, you have to go and follow the report and continue to follow the report because when situations like what happened in Minnesota and they pull up the cops record and they see how many how many people have filed reports on these police officers, it gives us more credit to say these cops been doing this, this doing us like this, and no one has done nothing on the on the top level. So um, those are the three ones that I am sharing now. However, if we had about three hours. I could probably share about mm. 300 more. Wow. Man, that's a lot to unpack, bro. Three story. Let's, let's start off with the first one. The whole cops blocking okay. win. How old were you um, when that happened? 22. You're 22. How old are you right now? 31. 31. So it happened nine years ago. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so when they pulled, when they went back to, to the to squad car right after they harassed you and whatnot and they sat there, were you able to leave or did you have to sit there and wait for them as well? I had to wait for them to leave. I, there was no way to back out because it was like a, a one way in, one way out, and they were on the driveway. So I had to sit there and just literally wait for them to reverse before I could go anywhere. Hmm. Okay. So question number two for, I mean, the second second story. Um, if you can explain, because I know personally, but I want to make sure our listeners know, um, when, it, when, you, when it comes to gang members, right, when police officers pull up in a gang area, gang-filled area, what is the requirement for gang members when cops ask them questions or harass them, even if they're not doing any illegal activities, if any? So if, you're, if you're on probation or parole, you have to comply. Mm. If you are not on probation or, par- or parole, you don't have to comply um, to what the officers are saying because you're technically a civilian uh, unless noted otherwise. What I have noticed is a lot of gamers just don't want to deal with the police officers. So they'll, they'll do one or two things. They'll either answer the questions real shortly or quickly or they'll leave. Mm. So when they, and, but the problem with this particular situation was they pulled up in an unmarked car. Mm. So it was a regular white car, but they got out with the police, like the undercovers uh, police garb on with the guns and the badges and then started doing commands. Mm. So, for my as I said, from my experience, when they see the cop cars come, gamers would kind of like walk away or disperse or try to go about their only way or walk towards their house. Um, but if they're not on probation or parole, they don't have to comply to what the cops are, are requesting. Okay. And so, in your situation, you went in the gang, but you're hanging around gang members, right? Um, and you well, my, go ahead. My my neighbors were in the gang, your so neighbor. like we were talking. To, it's like so, I'm me and my brother at the house, we're, and we're talking. My neighbors who are involved in in the gang were just came by to talk, and we're just talking about sports, you know, just just yep. shooting the breeze. And that was what it's like. So it's almost like I and keep in mind, if I feel bad for someone who actually because we moved there, my parents owned the home, but if you actually live in that neighborhood and your people that you grew up with you know, go uh, get involved in criminal activity, that doesn't change the physical fact that you, the simple fact that you still know who they are. Mm-hmm. You still have a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. So they ever want to come by and talk to you, does that subject you to be treated like less than because you're just engaging with your neighbor that happens to be involved into a, into a gang lifestyle? That was where my argument was coming from. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel that when they're policing, they just group everybody in and everybody's not like that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, and I, I'm tying in. I'm tying in a great big question with this last one. So okay. with the with the Culver City one, right, the one when you're at going to the bank and whatnot, um, yeah. cops pull you over. When they told you to you no know, to get out the car, they walked you over to their squad car. Did you give them consent to go in your car and get the get your wallet? No, you didn't. Okay, so they went ahead and searched your car basically without consent, 
and they only pulled you over for a minor, minor traffic stop, which is stopping, not stopping at a stop sign in a, what is it, a um, parking lot. No, it was, it was not, not coming to a, no, I, I think I misquoted. It was not coming to a complete stop behind the white line at in, in the parking lot. Oh, my goodness. So it was like one of those, I don't know if you guys know about the turn, like the California roll where you kind of like oh, slow yeah, down and, yep. you like, and you keep on going. It, it was one, it came out, there was nobody in the parking lot. It was eight o'clock in the morning. I just kind of like going to the grocery store. I slowed down and lift up. That's what the, that's what the, um, that's what they pulled me over for. Okay. So the second, the second story, I think the first story as well, but the second and third story, I want to point out how different your environment was in terms of where you're at. So I want our listeners to know that we had a you, a, a black male in a mostly black mm-hmm. area getting harassed by the police, and you, a black yeah. male in a mostly white community getting harassed by the police. So what, what is there to do? What is there as a black male, even a black female in the world? Where, where do we go? What do we do? And that's, and that's like the, the catch-22, because is what do you do? Because if you say, hey, I want to live in my community, but your community is viewed as a... Uh, uh, over police or negative stereotypical community, then you're going to get harassed. And then if you say, hey, you know what? I don't want that experience for, you know, me and my kids. So I'm going to move to a community that isn't over police, like my own typical community is. And we get over there. It's not over. The community's not over police, but you are. Mm. So it's almost like you don't, there is no real place for you to go in the society where no matter where you're going, the color of your skin is what they're policing, not the actual person that's mm-hmm. moving about the community and i think it was very powerful that you said um that you had brought up you informed us that you were wearing your baggy clothes as a black male breaking clothes the, the cops felt threatened just by what you were wearing right you had no weapons on you you weren't impo- being an imposing figure nothing like that you were just wearing your clothes because like, just like anybody would go to the gym wearing gym clothes i literally went to the gym I go to the gym in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, going to the gym, eight o'clock, go to the grocery store to do my shopping. Nothing unusual, nothing different than what anybody else would do who has, you know, a gym grocery shopping mm-hmm. schedule. I'm not going to go to the gym in a full, I'm not going to go to the gym, change to put on a suit to go grocery shopping. So I don't look less threatening. And that, and it's almost impossible. How do we not look threatening? Cause I almost, I almost assure you, I was any other than a black man in that, and that sweat in a, workout outfit no one would perceive me being a threat mm-hmm. and that's just kind of like so going back to your question like what do we do it's like we got to even be mindful about what we even wear it's already it's like you everything that we do we have to have a second thought in mind of how we're doing it and how we're going to be perceived going out into the world mm-hmm. and speaking of you no know, being aware of what we're wearing out and whatnot my mom growing up told me, you know, I, my listeners heard this story before, like no hoods up when you're up the house, no bandana, no do-rag, no hat backwards, um, basically no no saggy pan, nothing like that, right? Because of the color mm-hmm. of skin and whatnot um, growing up in this world. What were you taught about how to act around police officers or police in general growing up? And how has your perception changed, if any, at right now? Okay, so funny story again. So my mom, my parents are a group in the Nickerson, no, she will not tell you where she's from. But to, to honor her, she grew up in a in in Watts as well. She gets upset when people find out where she's from. So she has <laughs> she had this idea that um she didn't want to hang out with more than five black boys, hmm. right? Because she's our five black boys because looked at as, as a gang. So if it's, and she's always have something other in the group. 
You know what I'm saying? Don't just be all five black boys. So that was one thing because she, she didn't want the attention from the police. Number one. Number two, she was the same way. No do-rags, no bandanas, uh, no baggy pants. Uh, she also restricted us. We couldn't wear red. She wanted to, she definitely did not want us to wear red from California. They had the Crips and the Bloods. It really just didn't make sense because she didn't really say too much about blue, but her theory was red stood out too much. And when you wear red, people can see you from a mile away and you draw too much attention. And it was like, don't wear any red clothes, don't drive a red car. It was all of that. She, they, my parents also informed us, like, hey, get to know the police officers. You know, once you get to know them, maybe they'll know that you're not like all, you know, how the general population views black folks. So they won't necessarily, if they see you in trouble, they may assist you rather than automatically judge you. The back side of that story is at church, um, there was a cop that went to our church. The cop was, he did not and could not stand us. No matter how nice or how, it didn't matter. He did, I have a feeling he just didn't like black boys. And he made it very evident by the way he treated us. So it's almost like we are 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, and there's a white cop who still views you as a criminal when you're in a church building. And that's where it started to click in my mind, like, okay, this is my childhood. So growing up, it's like, it's like it, it, you get to the, the point of you're damned if you, if you do and damned if you don't. You get to know the police officers, yet the cop that goes to your church that's, that knows you and sees you and you, mm -hmm. you got to read the same Bible, sing the same worship songs, is not looking out for you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's actually out to get you because if you have a real quick second, I remember, and I wasn't wrong for this one. I was driving without my license and the lights were off, right, in the car. I did get pulled over. When the cop, uh, the cop pulled me over, the cop from the church actually showed up to see me. So I'm like, oh, I know him. You know, he goes to the same church. The cop that pulled me over said, hey, officer, I'm, well, I want to disclose his name. Oh, you know him. What do you want to, what do you want me to do? Right? So he's giving the officer from the church an opportunity to be like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of him. I know his mom, know his dad. I'll take him home and we'll have a conversation on Sunday. That didn't happen. He told the cop, do your job. Told the car, call his parents. And I sat down like, yo, like, and then the next day, Sunday, he goes, he's going to look at me and like, gotta behave better like <clears throat> there was no like it was it it just rubbed me all the wrong way and i was like you know what from then on i just didn't fool with her no more i didn't say hi i didn't talk to him because even though i was in the wrong there's an opportunity where you can you could have stepped in to did to do something and corrected me on your own rather than just telling the cop to do your job tow the car and call his parents <laughs> you didn't swing on him at church huh you didn't swing on him at church Oh, nah, he still, he'll, he'll still be as an officer, so I'm not about to go ahead and get that. He's a come to church with his badge and his gun. You know, it's a little country town, so I ain't about yeah. to. I'm not, yeah, I'm not even thought about just having one little lick on it real quick. <laughs> <laughs> my, my mom was mad, too. Like, it didn't make sense. He didn't offer to give me a ride home. He was just like, got in his car and drove off. Like, And I'm like, yo, we go to the exact same. Like, it was just, yeah, that whole thing still to this day still rubbed me the wrong way when I think about it. So, how how do you view police officers right now? Um, see, the thing is, I'm not gonna. I have some really close friends that are actually police officers, so I was like, I I'm in like this catch twenty two because I know that you have some good ones and I know that you have some bad ones, and so when people tell me all the time, not all cops are bad, I always respond, well, not all black folks are criminals, mm -hmm. and 
I was so it's kind of like you're you're trying to convince me that all cops are good, and I'm like, I know they are. I got friends that are police officers, but let's not negate the fact that you're you respond to me as though all black folks are criminals or thugs or want to rob you or kill you and want to wreak havoc on the world. So if you, I just I just have that that pull in my heart, like I know some good ones and I know a whole lot of bad ones too. So it's I I usually my my um what I'm trying to say is my end thought is I usually give the officer the benefit of the doubt with in the back of my mind knowing the fact that you know what I don't know if I'm going to get a good or bad one today mm-hmm. I don't know so I'm going to try my best to be like you know what I'm gonna try my best to, to be as polite and cordial because uh, I don't know what type of officer I'm getting today that's that's what it is like I don't know. What's what's going on in their life to come, and when they want to take it out on me, I still get tense. My blood pressure, I still feel my blood pressure rise. I still feel the nervousness when a cop gets behind me. I get nervous when I see a cop on the street. Mm. Um, I work in downtown. We work with the police department, and even when I see the police department in downtown pull up, I still get nervous, and they're there to stop some two people in the street from fighting, and I still get that nervous feeling. So. I just know that I still have a lot of anxiety and uh, anger in, in some sense when I do see certain police officers or when I see the police before I get to know them. Like, they might be come out and be happy-go-lucky and chill. I'm like, oh, and it's like a sign of relief comes over me. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, it's like I get into the, I go into straight defense mode because I don't know what the outcome of this engagement is going to be. And I think that's a common theme from people I've been speaking with uh, even, even before I started this podcast is they don't know if it's going to be a good or a bad cop. Um, and if it's a bad cop, the, the chances are having, the chances of being a bad cop are lower than being a good cop. However, if you do have a run with a bad cop, that might be the end of, of your life. So they want to avoid that situation entirely um, by either turning off or walking the other way when they see the police, even if you are doing everything legally. Um, same with me mm-hmm. personally. Look, I'm, if I'm driving and my destination is two blocks straight, right, and a cop pulls over behind me, pulls in behind me, I'm turning. I'm not going to be in front of this police. I, no way. Because they're going to cool. fuck around and say that, oh, um, I'm reaching for my gun or whatever because I always have a piece on me as well. Or I'm going to my glove compartment and they, they're feared for their life. And shoot me up. You know, I'm not going to take that chance. You know, I'm trying to do everything the right way. So I think long story short, I think that's a common thing, bro. And and it's shitty that we have to think that way as people of color, that we have to avoid um, people who are meant to or who are supposed to serve and protect us. You know, where it's complete opposite feeling. You know what I mean? Right. That's crazy. So um, what changes do you want to see when it comes to um, police officers, interaction, people of color, um, when they get caught? being aggressive, whatever the case would be, what changes do you want to see? Well, for me, I just want them to be held to the same standard. Like, if you're, if you are the law and you hold the law, like me, you got into a fight and I, and I beat you and put you into the hospital, I'm going to either jail for at least two years. They may hit me with a mayhem charge, give me two to five. Mm. I don't know what, I don't know how it is in Minnesota, but out here you get two to five, three to eight for mayhem for beating somebody half to death. I want the exact same thing held to the officers. If you're supposed to uphold the law, that does not mean that does not give you a free pass to break the law in the name of upholding the law. Mm. And so if you're committing a crime, if you shoot somebody in the back in California, you can't shoot nobody in the back. It's against the law. 
because they're fleeing or you're you're out of the space of danger. If a cop shoots somebody in the back, they need to get charged with manslaughter or murder just like anybody else mm-hmm. would. And they had that whole term clear and present danger. I don't see how somebody run away from you. You're in clear. You're in clear or present. There. I don't. What's the danger at? Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you can't run up and catch them, then that's not like a personal problem. Mm-hmm. But shooting them down in the back doesn't sound like something that is necessary. So my whole thing is, if we really want to do some changes, my thing is, you have to start to be able to not just fire them because a lot of times they get fired and go to another police mm-hmm. department. I don't want that. I want them actually held to the same laws that civilians are held to. Um, and that's what the main change I want. I care less. Like, look, if you're held to that way, I got, everybody wants to do, like, trainings and how police interact with, you know, minorities. If they know that they beat somebody up or they shoot somebody, they're looking at 25 to life. That in itself will already, in my opinion, will start correcting their behavior. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't need they don't need any more training. Just send them to send, send them to trial like they'll send anybody else. And I, that's kind of what I would like to see. So let me ask you a follow up question, because I was talking to my friends about this actually yesterday. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a witness to, let's say, something that happened to George Floyd, if you're a witness. Right. And you know that the police officers are committing a crime in this case, murder. Right. And you intervene. Right. right? And you intervene as a witness. Yeah. Should you get charged with with uh, either assault or an officer, whatever the case be, if you're intervening and stopping the police from committing a, cr- a violent crime on an individual? Because if it wasn't the police officer, if if it was civilian on civilian, and you do that, that is self defense, even though that is you know self defense from um, defending somebody else. That's still considered self defense. So right. in this situation, let's say you no know, George Floyd um, situation happened, a witness intervened. Should they get charged? I don't believe they should. I in my in and this is me speaking from not being there, but if, if if you see the four officers sitting there, and my thing is with people like of color, like, look, let's put down the cameras and let's intervene. If it's four officers and 20 of us, let's stop them from killing this man. At the end of the day, we have to start doing that. And that's how I really, truly feel about it. Like, let's stop filming and let's actually put some, pro, some action behind it because they're not I don't feel like the people, if they intervene, they shouldn't be charged, especially if we see something wrong going on. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, I think, M- Malcolm X stood on that principle. Like, we need to start protecting our own because they're not going to do it. And especially for the amount of time that they literally sat there on George, Flo- George Floyd's neck for eight minutes. I feel that those in those scenarios is where we need to intervene the most. Yeah. Because if we be honest with it, yeah, if we just say we tackle them off or we pull the cop off, all that's going to do is it could not only save George Floyd's life, but it can expose, hey, this is wrong. And and human nature naturally is like a herd behavior. If they see one person doing it or trying to stop something, more people will tend have a tendency to join in when they notice something wrong going on. I think we have this innate fear that they're the police, so they can't be, let's not touch them, let's not do anything. And I'm not saying that to like go out there and start beating up police officers, but let's be mindful. If they're sitting there and you deliberately see they're doing something wrong, we need to speak up and be proactive about it um, to stop these things from going on because no one else is going to protect us unless we protect ourselves. And I definitely agree about the whole putting the phone down and intervening. But my my personal concern in that situation is if I intervene, am I going to get popped up? 
and popped up, excuse me, shot. Am I going to get shot? And, right. You know, and that's something that I was thinking about um, watching the whole George Floyd uh, murder is, okay, if I was there, I'm a hothead. Everybody knows I'm a hothead. Everybody knows that um, I would never back down from a fight. Um, and I love fighting, right? And if I was there, I'm thinking, would I have done something? Would I have done something? And I have a newborn at home. I got a seven-year-old. I have a wife. Would right. I have put my life in jeopardy for George Floyd? And to be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know if I would. I, I'll be as bad as that sounds. I don't know if I would have, but I do know that I damn sure would have thought about it. I damn sure would have thought about it because that's and, and, and that makes sense, man. But see, that's that's the that's the root of it all, right mm-hmm. there. The fact is, I said that was a civilian on civilian. I'm almost sure that same thought probably wouldn't went through your mind. If I stopped these dudes, these guys from killing this other man, am I concerned about getting shot myself? Mm-hmm. And I'm saying you were that a party or a club or a bar and you saw that, you're like, let's break this up. That thought probably doesn't go through your mind. The fact of the matter is the cops have a presence in our communities where we can't even intervene when they're doing something wrong. They could kill somebody in front of us and we have to sit there and watch. Yep. Yep. It goes all the way back. It goes back to how things were going back to slavery, slavery days where you have men to sit there and they knew that they couldn't do anything and they felt powerless to prevent their own from being slaughtered in front of them because they knew they intervened even though they had the number two the police have the power and they have the nation the government behind them that whatever you do if they soon they come get you you're already going to lose and that's kind of like the the battle that everybody has because even i said like yeah if that's why i said i said herd that's why i meant the herd mentality Mm -hmm. if all 20 people rush the police it's a whole different story than just one person going out there. Because, yeah, if you were by yourself, you went out there, yeah, you probably would have got shot. <laughs> like, I mean, they would have shot you because it's four of them and one of you. Yeah. But it was two of you guys went out there and pulled them four cops off, and each 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 cop had five people on them. Mm-hmm. The chance that you guys get shot would have been a lot rare. Mm-hmm. And I don't care. So, I don't care about catching the case. I care about dying. I care about leaving my kids. Yeah, so yeah, that, no, no. That's huge. That's huge because... Um, I was telling you, I'm not going to tell the, the name of somebody, but I knew somebody who was around them, the George Floyd, and I'm thinking if I was in that person's shoes, would I have intervened? And I, I cannot, and it kind of hurt me to think that probably not. I probably would not right. have intervened. And that shit is terrible to, to really feel that way. Like, damn, I, I have to watch this shit. And ain't nothing I can fucking do about it except, you know, plead for the dude's life, which the, the, the they didn't go nowhere. Right. You know? Yeah. And and that and that's why I think the frustration is building up so much in the nation, the in our communities, because we're seeing it happen over and over again, and we can't do anything. Yeah. And nothing is no. And I'm saying that if we just to keep it this imagine, if we go out, if you go out right now and you punch a cop in the face, right? They're gonna call the whole department out on you. Mm-hmm. Right, they're gonna beat you down, put handcuffs on you, slap you around, probably take you to cell and beat you down some more. Like they all come for the to protect their own, and we know this, and it's hard for us to do the same. We all we want to say is, "Hey, we want to feel protected too." Mm-hmm. And since no one is, we're starting. It's starting to reach a boiling point where we're like, you know what? We're going to start. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it, but in D.C., I've seen a couple of clips where the neighborhoods are beating up the police officer for for doing too much stuff. No, I see that. I gotta find that. Yeah. Yeah, they got. They said, I think it's in D.C. where you where you had a couple. They had cops trying to arrest one man. The whole neighborhood was out there fighting the police. And so I'm just thinking that you we have to start to let the cops know, like, hey, you can't you you're not gonna sit there and just keep doing this. But the fear of death is big, so you don't mm-hmm. want to go and do something that you know you're dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to make sure that you're able to to defend and protect your own. 
and still go home. What would you have done, you think, if you were in that situation, if you're a witness? Uh, you know, I probably been just like you. Yeah. You know, I probably would. I probably would have tried to try to. The person, I think, one lady was like talking to the the, the cop, yelling back and forth at him. The cop was like not ignoring him or something like that. Uh, that probably would have been me. I'll probably have been raising up, you know, yelling and screaming and hooping and hollering to try to let the cops know that they what they're doing is wrong. But I think that same thought process is still the same because unless we change our thoughts where we're going to be like, hey, we're not we're going to stick together and help protect our own. It's that fear that if I jump out here and do something, I going to be the only one making the move, mm-hmm. which puts me at risk. Because then in, inside, in, in it's like, yo, I want to rush and do something. However, the hesitancy, hesitancy in me is like I don't want to die in the same in the same vein. Mm-hmm. And so I feel I'm, I'm with you. I just feel like every inch of me would have been like, yeah, go, go, go. But just like, yeah, I don't have any children yet, but I have a wife at home. Uh, shoot, she might be happy with that five hundred thousand life insurance policy coming back to her. But, <laughs> but uh, that's a, she could be mad. With that. She could be mad that I said that. All right, no, all right. <laughs> But uh, I'm just saying that's that's what we have to do at, in, as a community. We have to come to a point where you know what we got to start trying to say, hey, we're not having this, um, and really like not to say protests arrive, but when we see it, we have to stop it and stop mm-hmm. it in a herd fashion. Group of people go, mm-hmm. a group of us say no, and we have to really stay strong because because stay strong and do what it is because when you do that the cops are starting to understand that you know what this ain't happening mm-hmm. we can't do this now we're in we have created a hostile environment where we got people around us that circled us and we got to call for backup so when they call for backup we call more of our leaders and black people in the neighborhood like to come out too to let them know that as a union as a community we're sticking together and what you're doing and how you're policing we're not standing for it and do you think that's ever gonna happen in our lifetime, I think eventually will, but in our lifetime, things are gonna happen. You know what? To be quite frank, I I think it has happened. I think during back to sit in the sixties, it was moving that direction when you had X and King and everybody at least like, yo, mm-hmm. we're not doing it. We're moving like this. We're marching like this. We we're unifying like this. What I think it might be an unpopular opinion is when things got uh, desegregated. Right, and they started to are they are se- yeah segregated, not desegregated, segregated. When they started to like, oh yeah, desegregate. When they started to you know allow everybody to just go ahead and start mixing in everywhere, mm-hmm. I think you had some. Well, you had them back in the day, but you had a lot of people like, you know what, I'm out. I'm moving out. I'm moving over here. I'm moving over there. I'm looking for a better life for my family, my kids. I'm getting away from this neighborhood. I had the money to do so. And I think that has started to create this atmosphere where you start to see the have and the have nots mm-hmm. as to within our community. You have some that live in neighborhoods that's like, we're fine, we're wealthy, um, the cops don't harass us, um, they don't patrol us like they do other neighborhoods, so they kind of like feel the cause, quote-unquote, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, ain't, they ain't, it is what it is as far as they're concerned. Mm-hmm. And then you have other ones in the community that are still back there, like, yo, we're still trying to fight this fight. And some people's like, yeah, that's not my fight no more. Mm-hmm. Or where you're at in the fight isn't my fight no more. You know? And I think that's kind of where I think is that in itself when they desegregated a lot of our communities and a lot of people kind of moved to, for better locations and moved to better places, which is understandable. You want to move to for better to for betterment of your life, but we lost some of that um 
unity we had as a community when we did that. Yeah. And that's kind of why I feel like if it does go back, the only way I can see it go back is a lot of us got to start rebuilding our communities, uh, putting money back in our communities, um, holding our own communities responsible. Like, look, we ain't going to let cops do this, and we're not going to do this to ourselves either. We're better than this. Mm-hmm. And when that starts happening, we can start really, like, progressing in a way that no one has ever seen before. Man, and and to piggyback on that, too, in terms of I like what I'm seeing with the millennials, what they call people below us, the millennials. Yeah. 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 I've seen a lot of a lot of allies after the George Floyd thing, more so than I've ever seen in any other tragedy, more so than Trayvon right. Martin and Volando, all that. So it's I'm I'm very hopeful, but I'm very, very cautiously hopeful that this is going to you know, create change. And I've seen a bunch of um TikTok, I'm on TikTok, bro. <laughs> I was on TikTok, <laughs> and I see the TikTok, bro, of like these little these little white girl, teenage white girls, recording their racist parents, and they checking them. And I'm hyped. Right. I'm like, damn, little six year old white girl checking the you know 40, 50 year old men and women. I'm, and I'm loving it. And I'm thinking, okay, I have hope for the future that I'm you know raising my son to be because I think the millennials are seen and they're getting it, you know. And that's one thing right. that I'm really excited about. And I'm really, if there's one bright caveat on the George Floyd murder. I think it's it's the visibility um that we're seeing and also the the protest that we're seeing right on media social and social medias and news and whatnot. You can really see the police officers are being assholes, bro. They tear yeah, no. in peaceful peaceful protesters. I'm like, what yeah. the fuck? And that's and that's kind of like so to piggyback what you said. Now I I am I'm I'm optimistic, but yet when my I guess where my reservations come from is is I hope this is not like a trendy thing that a lot of, of the young white millennials are doing. Because out here in LA is a bit more Hollywoodish. Mm. So you see people with photographers going out to the protest taking pictures. Yeah. And, and it's like, that's not the reason. Like you see, it, it, it gets to the point where it's starting to sound for me out here in LA, it seems very trendy. Like it's cool to say Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. and still, you know, go about your own business, do what you got to do, and, not necess- and just say that so people think that you're in the in crowd. And I hope that everybody that I'm seeing that's doing this and, and you know, being an ally is a true ally and not doing it for, like, publicity or Instagram likes or TikTok follow. I don't, I don't – I haven't got the TikTok. My, my boy's trying to put me on it. But um, I don't know what that is, but I, I'm just hoping that, look, this, if this is genuine, I'm all for it. Mm. If it's for, you know, exposure and attention, I, that's how I can do without it. Mm-hmm. I really would like – that, and that's just kind of how I feel because keep in mind they, we had white folks back in the sixties rolling with us, oh, and yeah. now it's even, it's even bigger. But let's make sure you're doing it for the right cause. Like I see, I just don't. It just, it just for me, just don't do it for your own personal gain. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I'm at. Like that's the case. Just chill. Yeah. But if you really with it, then let's ride with it. And I, I appreciate the support and the love and all that all over the world. Mm-hmm. And from the outside looking in, well, I lived there for a little bit too, but anyway, mostly from the outside looking in, man, a lot of, <laughs> no offense, but a lot of LA folks are fake, bro. <laughs> they, oh, no, no. they fake as hell, I, man. I they already know. That's why I, said, <laughs> I, I think like, you really have a sign, makeup on, all dressed up, and a photographer here. Yeah. You're waiting for the opportunity. And she, I literally hopped the sign. She walked in and then took took a uh, photographer, hopped in the middle of the street with a full light camera took a, and started taking pictures. Man. I'm like, seriously? What are we doing? Yeah, man. Like, I ain't, I ain't a trending topic now. This is my whole life we talking about. Mm-hmm. You over here trying to be cool on Instagram. Mm-hmm. 
And I think the same thing, same mentality for businesses too. Um, a lot of a lot of these businesses, including the company I work for, um, creating or having Juneteenth be a holiday that they that they recognize. And I love that. But I also I'm like, well, shit, Juneteenth and it just happened this year, fam. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why why did it take this whole time? That's what I'm saying. Like, are you guys are genuine? Or are you guys just doing it because you want to look good yeah. in other people's eyes? Yeah. And like, that's all. Like, I got emails in my company. Like, what Juneteenth is? Let's celebrate. It's like, yo, we know we've been here for about 400 plus years, man. Juneteenth was 1865. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah. Just now talking about this, like, man. I, I, but then again, I understand. Some places didn't even recognize recognize Martin Luther King Day. Yep. So I'm like, you know what? Hey, it, it's progress is slow, but hey, progress is progress, mm-hmm. I guess. And I love it. Look, I love that Juneteenth holiday. I'm, I think they're trying to push for it to be a, a national holiday or federal holiday, whatever it's called. And I'm obviously all for it, and I'm excited that it's happening. But I do know that a lot of people um, don't know what or didn't know what Juneteenth was. Um, and even me personally, I forgot, I completely forgot about the year. I thought it was like 1880s or whatever. I completely forgot it was 1865. So even me being a black man, I have to be, I have to be well more knowledgeable on, on my dates and my history and whatnot. Cause a lot of this shit, they don't teach you in school growing up. I never, I never heard of no Juneteenth growing up. Of course, I grew up in, uh, in the suburbs of Minneapolis, Northern suburbs. So it was, it was a lot of white folks. So I, I guess I understand why they didn't teach me, but I'm like, shoot, that's a big part of our history that I didn't get taught. No, it is because like my actual family, my mom's side of the family, like her grandmother and all them, my, my her mother, my grandmother and all them, they're from that region of Texas, like the Galveston, the yep. Orange, the Beaumont, Texas region. So that's actually where I origin half of me originated from that region. Mm-hmm. And so my mom, she she see my mom did tell us about it. Um, she didn't really celebrate it like every. She just started. My family just started recelebrating maybe about five, ten years ago. And, uh, but I was always aware of Juneteenth. Only thing I didn't know was, was what teen day it was on, because I don't think the 19th is the actual day. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? I think that's what the 10th is. They just say sometime in that, re- in, the, in the teens. But um, with that being said, but yeah, they don't teach us. And I don't think, like, there's a lot of things that we don't teach. And that goes back to us as being black men and fathers, or and soon, since I'm uh, soon to be father eventually, whenever <laughs> uh, the Lord bless you with kids. Uh, but even my little cousins, I go back and I, you have to we we have to teach our own mm-hmm. children our education, because if you're expecting the school system to teach you, teach your children about their own history, it's going to come up short every time, yep. because they're so busy teaching about their history. Mm-hmm. Like they may add some things in there, but growing up, I only remember like four people we we learned about black folks. We learned about Rosa Parks, mm-hmm. uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, maybe Thurgood Marshall, I think he's the first Supreme Court justice, and I think maybe uh, shoot, I don't even know. Uh, the Peanut Man what was it George Washington Carver. Hmm. I think those are the only ones we learned about. Hmm. Shit, I'm thinking so, back. Yeah. I'm trying to think back what the fuck I learned. I don't even remember. <laughs> I, like I don't know when I learned what I know. You know, but that's that's the thing. Is that's why we have to work on always teaching. If we teach our children and teach our own how to value who we are then I think that will also go a long way because we're also taught, we're taught at a young age to devalue um, black people as a whole, Mm -hmm. that they're less than, that they're, you know, not equal to, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, other, other races, even white races. Like, I don't know about you, but I can, when I was growing up, it never crossed my mind to become a president. Nope. 
I mean, me. You never yeah. No. It was done. Present. I even politics wasn't for me. You know, like all that stuff. All that stuff growing up, it never crossed my mind. It was just like that's just them. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have to continue to educate our children about what it is to be black in America, our own history. And I know some people are like, yo, man, we got to go back to Africa. I was like, yeah, let's start from, let's start at, you know, 1776. Mm-hmm. Let's start here. Mm-hmm. I know slavery is not a black eye, but let's start here because we got a pretty decent culture just in America alone. Mm-hmm. Let's just learn about this first. And then we can start learning about because Africa's a big continent. Mm-hmm. What, what part are you going to start? Mm-hmm. We can start. I'm like, let's just start here. Let's learn about the jazz, the blues, the the top athletes of our era, the top speakers, the top activists. Let's learn about the top writers, mm-hmm. the poets. Let's learn about that first, about that part of our culture. And that's kind of how I feel. That's that's what I push on my little cousins. And I swear they better stop that whole Christopher Columbus bullshit, too. That's what I'm telling my kids. As soon as you start learning about that shit, I'll be like, look, don't listen to none of that shit they tell you. <laughs> they all lie. They ain't, that ain't the truth. I'll tell you what the fuck happened. Man, <sighs> that's that's what you do. You gotta teach it out to your own how mm-hmm. it went down. Mm-hmm. But all right, mm-hmm. man, Joyce, you been we've been talking for a while here, man. So I I'm not trying to take up too much more of your time. Um, before okay. I let you go, I got a couple more questions. Though. I got two more questions for you. Um, okay. Do you want our listeners to know anything else about you? What's going on in your life? Um, what's going on in your family's life? Anything? Um. What's going on? Well, my life is kind of basically simple. Nothing really serious is going on. My life, I said, I still work in Skid Row. I'm working to try to help, you know, black folks get off the streets. Um, and that's pretty much where my head's at right now. Uh, working just and working on building my private practice to help, you know, um, African Americans deal with some of the mental health aspects, you know, cold from COVID to George Floyd to just being black in America can have so many different ways that could weigh on you. And I just want to be able to create a space of like, hey, let's talk about it. Let's get through these things together and just offer that to uh, my community. Nice. And when you start that up, bro, let me know, because I I um, dealt with a lot of mental health issues growing up, too, that I'm not going to get into. But um, being black, growing up with mental health issues, they kind of put it to the side. So let me know when you start that, bro. Hit me up and please let me know. I'll try to help out. All right. All right. We'll do. All right, cool. So one last question before I let you go. I love to end my shows with a plug on a black owned business anywhere in the country. Do you have any black owned business you want to plug up right now? I have a couple. There is one that is massage therapy business from uh, called uh, Relax and Restored. It's massage therapy and uh, holistic living. And it's kind of like a health conscious type of business. Um, you can follow her online at Relax and Restored. That's her IG. Uh, her name's uh Give a shout out because it is my wife that is her business. Um, that's thinking about if I was going to surprise her or not by dropping that. Also, I have a friend named T Raw Naturals. He has a black owned business where he sells oils for to uh, healthy oils and organic oils for your beard. You can also follow him on on Instagram at T Raw like R A R A W Naturals. And so it's like oils and ointments and, and creams to help, you know, get that nice full beard that apparently all the women love that I can never grow. Bro, I need that. I have, bro, I, I'm balding on my beard. I never seen that shit before in my life. I have a bald spot on my fucking chin, bro. It's so bad. I got to check them out. <laughs> I got to check them out. <laughs> those, are, those are the two that I, I would like to plug. Relax and restore for any type of like health coaching or um, lifestyle coaching. As it pertains to your health and massage therapy and relaxed and T Raw Naturals, that is for 
Beard Oil. Thank you. Well, thank you, bro. Um, on behalf of people of color everywhere, I'd like to thank you for shedding some light on your experiences and your upbringing, my man. Um, and to our listeners, thank you again for joining us as we share our experiences with you. If you have a story you'd like to share or know somebody who does have a story they want to share, please send us an email at shedsomelightpodcast at outlook.com. Again, that's shedsomelightpodcast at outlook.com. George, my man, thank you, bro. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a great evening. Tell the wife I said hi and thank her for letting you be on this tonight. No problem. Let her know. You take care. Have a great evening, too. Take care, bro. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in once again to the Shed Some Light podcast. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Until next time.